chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. I know you're thinking, Brother Casey, I thought we finished 1 John 1. No. No, we didn't. Where were you? I was gone, but where were you? 1 John chapter 1. Something that we as Christians need to see, something we need to understand, is the incredibly high cost of sin. Now, you say, well, sure, Brother Casey, you murder somebody, you go to prison the rest of your life, or you end up uh, going to the, uh, uh, getting executed. Uh, uh, no, that's not, I'm not talking about that kind of payment. I mean, I'm not talking about that kind of cost. Although, sin does cost. And God doesn't judge every sin every day in such a way that we recognize the effects of it immediately. My, my dad used to say, God doesn't pay every Friday like Pittsburgh Plate Glass Company, but God always pays. But the truth is, every time we sin, it costs us something. And 1 John chapter 1 talks about the cost. It talks about what, what God wants for us. And we recognize that if we sin, we've lost that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about how that all of our works will be tried by fire. Everything we do in life will be tried, though is by fire. And some of it is gold, silver, and precious stones. Fire won't bother that. In fact, fire makes rubies more valuable. But a bunch of it is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And that stuff goes up like poof when you put it in the fire. What's the difference? Well, the difference is motivation primarily. Why we do what we do. Sometimes we do things that we say we're doing it for God and we're, we're serving God when the truth is we're doing it to be seen of men. Jesus jumped all over the Pharisees about that. He said, Pharisee goes out on the street corner and he takes his prayer shawl and puts it up over his head and he shakes it out so that the fringe is hanging down all around and he begins to pray towards heaven and everybody knows what he's doing. And he is praying to be seen of men. He's not praying to be heard by God. And Jesus said, verily, he has his reward. He got what he asked for. He wanted everybody to see him and there they are. They're looking at him. Jesus said, when you pray, go in your closet. Just go in your closet and pray in secret. And the God who hears in secret and sees in secret will reward you openly. Well, why would you pray in secret? Well, because you're not praying to be seen of men. You're praying to be heard by God. When we left the city of Chattanooga, I was seven years old. We left the city of Chattanooga and Paul Ferguson and his wife who had three little boys, lived across the alley from us, and they came to buy our house. And Brother Ferguson came in. He was an evangelist and a Golden Gloves championship boxer. Uh, and uh, uh, But he came in, and uh, they were looking at the house, and it was much bigger than their house. 
and I've been by to look at it since then, and it's way smaller than this auditorium. I mean, the whole house. You can put two of them in this auditorium. <laughs> but it was bigger than the house they had. And he came in, and he said, Mrs. Casey, uh, do you mind if I crawl in your closet? And she said, well, no, Brother Ferguson. Uh, you know, do what you want to. And uh, so he opens the closet door, and he gets on hands and knees, and he craw- crawls in under the clothes, and he stretches out on the floor, and he crawls back out, and he says, we'll take it. My mom said, what? And uh, he said, we'll take it. He said, ever since I got in the ministry, I've wanted a prayer closet, a closet I could stretch out in and spend time alone with God. I heard Paul Ferguson preach one time, just let let you know a little bit about him. He was uh, country. I don't mean country, I mean country. (laughs) You know, one of them y'all come kind of guys. And uh, he quoted in one message, one 25-minute message, he quoted 187 scripture verses. 187. He said, man, that sounds like the whole message. It almost was. He would give his, the, the point of his outline, and then he'd quote 20, 30 verses, and he'd give the next point of his outline, quote 20, 30 verses, and I mean, when he got finished, you couldn't say you hadn't heard the word of God. <laughs> it was a message from heaven, because <laughs> he quoted it straight out of the Bible. But uh, Brother Ferguson wanted a prayer closet. He got in there and stretched out. What we do for Christ matters. It not only matters here, it's going to matter up there. But we need to make sure we're doing it for the right reasons and for the right motivation and allow God to work in our hearts. Paul, uh, excuse me, John starts in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. So he's talking about the Lord Jesus and the Scripture. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. We got to see it. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Wow. If we have fellowship with God, and we have fellowship with one another, there's no reason for us not to be filled with joy. Because it doesn't matter what we face. I mean, if I'm sitting down at God's table, I don't have to worry about what we're going to eat. I know it's going to be good. And I know there's going to be plenty of it. You say, well, Brother Casey, you have to wait till you get to heaven to sit at God's table. No, he owns, he owns all the tables. He owns all the tables. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It all belongs to him. And so I can trust him. And Jesus said, he wants our joy to be full. You know what will kill your joy? Guilt and conviction. <coughs> Guilt comes from Satan. He wants to make you feel like you're not saved. Because how could anybody be saved and do what you just did? See? He wants to stifle your ministry. 
The Holy Spirit comes along. He doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel convicted. He wants you to know you did wrong. And He wants you to repent. He wants you to put it behind you and turn around and follow Jesus closely. I saw something the other day on the news. All these little kids are holding on to a rope walking along, you know. I remember that. We did that in kindergarten. Pull the rope, you know, keep in line. You know who was closer to the teacher? Whoever was holding the rope right behind her. But when I got a little older, we didn't walk in line anymore. And a lot of times if I was going someplace, I would walk beside the teacher. That's much closer than walking behind That's how I want my walk with the Lord Jesus to be. I want to walk with Him, not behind Him. There's a song, trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow our leader and guide. No, I want to walk with Him. It it just feels safer to be holding His hand, walking beside Him. Just feels safer. My nephew marries, no, not nephew, yeah, my great-nephew marries brother's daughter's son, okay? You chart that if you got a family tree thing, <coughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's two, almost three, but he doesn't speak very much. He can, but he just doesn't. He doesn't need to yet, you know? Kind of like the little kid who didn't talk till he was 10 years old. One morning he says, oatmeal, cold. I mean, his dad had him to all the doctors, everything. Dad said, what? He said, oatmeal, cold. He said, no. What do you, you can talk. Kid said, yeah. He said, how come you never talked before? He said, everything's fine till now. That's the way this little kid is. And so I'm walking along, and he does not want to be left out of anything. And so he walks up, and he grabs my little finger. And he starts off, and so I go with him. And and we're walking along. He has my little finger, and we're walking along. We come to the curb, and he has to step off. And so he hangs on especially tight and steps off the curb, keeps from falling. And I stepped down, and, and we went on. Well, then I, I finally realized we're not going where he wants to go. So I took about a half a step and got in front of him, and, and I began to turn. And he's on the inside, and I'm walking faster than he is, and so we just ended up turning around and going a different way. That's the way I want to be with Jesus, okay? It doesn't matter where I want to go. I want to be holding on to him so that when he turns, I turn, okay? He says here, that these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now, our joy is full when we are doing right. When we're serving God. When we're in His Word. When we're spending time in prayer. When we're fellowshipping with Him. And so the, uh, the, the, the cost to the believer is joy when we sin. It robs us of incredible joy. 
You say, well, Brother Kissy, you don't know how bad things are. Duh. I do too. <laughs> no, you don't. You, you don't know what we're going through. No, I don't know what you're going through. I know what I'm going through. I do know how bad it is. Okay? How bad is it? I pay about $800 a month, $250 or $200 a week on medical expenses for my wife. Okay? Brother Casey. Yeah, past medical expenses. You say, well, how long is it going to take you to pay it off? Well, I'm paying off one of them that cost me $450 a month this month. Woohoo! And I'm going to take that $450 and I'm going to add it to the one I'm only paying $200 a month on. And I'll pay it off early next year. And then I've only got one left and it's only $20,000. So I'll have it paid off in 10, 12, 13 years, you know. You say, man, how can you live with that? I don't. I've chosen to live without it. Let God take care of it. It's His money anyhow. Why should I worry? He has provided the money, so I just send it where He wants it sent. And let it go. I am not going to allow trouble to rob me of joy. Okay? I'm not going to allow pain to rob me of joy. I'm going to walk with Jesus and enjoy the joy, enjoy the joy that comes from serving Jesus, others, and you. Joy. Now, what's the second cost? Well, we find that in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, And walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. So if we lie, we also not only lose our joy, we also are robbed of fellowship with God. You know how much fun it is to drive down the highway singing praises to God, knowing He's sitting in the seat beside you? You know, people drive past and every once in a while I'll look over and they're, you know, what, they've never seen anybody sing before? I keep the windows rolled up so they can't hear me, you know, most of the time. But, you know, but I don't want to lose that fellowship with God. I mean, we talk about all kinds of cool stuff. And a lot of times I just listen. He does the talking. You say, how does he talk to you? Oh, through his word. Holy Spirit keeps reminding me of passages of scripture and stories in the word of God. And, you know. Today at the pastor's luncheon, Brother Hildeville mentioned the, the well of David. When David was at, down at the cave of Abdullah in the valley of Elah, far into the valley of Elah, he made the statement, oh, I wish I had a drink of the cool, clear water from the well in Bethlehem. And so three of his guys, three of his soldiers, took off and went and got it. Well, 
it's 18 miles as this crow flies. Okay, 18 miles across country. But it's across the Judean wilderness. And the Judean wilderness has roads through it that switch back up the hills and down the hills and up the hills and down the hills and up the hills and down the hills. And they do not allow trucks or buses because they can't make the sharp curves. And if you meet somebody on that, on that road through the Judean wilderness, one of you has to back down to a wide place so the other one can get past. Okay? I mean, it is some of the most rugged country you've ever seen. And it goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. No telling how far these guys walk, but they got there in the night and got the water and brought it back to David the next morning. Okay? I mean, they were getting after it. They had to be in incredible shape. Now, I know they walked everywhere. But you couldn't do that in one night just walking. They had to run some. And I, I, I thought, wow. The Holy Spirit reminded me of that. What am I willing to do for Jesus? Anything like what those guys did for David? What are you willing to do for him? I do not want to lose the fellowship with God because of sin in my life. And then verse 7 tells us another cost. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And so if I'm not walking in the light, if I'm not fellowshipping with God, if I've lost my joy, I'm not going to enjoy your fellowship. You probably won't enjoy being around me. I mean, how much fun is it to talk to somebody that's got the mully grubs? Look that word up in the dictionary. I can tell you whose picture is going to be beside it because I went to school with her. Okay? Nothing made her happy. Whoa! First of all, she looked like a dog that caught a parked car. You know? Not a smile on her face ever that I saw. Wow. I didn't see it. But somebody told me she was walking down through Platten, the little community of Platten, when the train came through, and the train took a dirt road to keep from going by her. Okay? I'm talking. I, she put the capital U in ugly. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Okay? Okay, maybe not. But I enjoy fellowship with Christians too much to lose it. And if I don't walk in the light as he is in the light, I won't have fellowship. And neither will you. In fact, there's some people who are not here tonight because they don't enjoy fellowship. If they come, everybody's going to be nice to them. and Everybody's going to welcome them. And they're going to feel like, oh, man. We said, just leave me alone. Well, you and I may leave them alone. The Holy Spirit's not going to you. So three major areas right off the bat that we lose if we don't walk with Jesus. We lose our joy. Sin just robs us of it. We lose our fellowship with the Father. Sin just robs us of it. And we lose our fellowship with one another. Because it is so difficult and so absolutely sickening to have to worry about putting on a false face to come to church. 
You pull up in the parking lot and you look over at your wife or your wife looks over at you and says, we'll settle this after church. Okay, let's go in. And they walk in, you know. Oh, good to see you, you know. Reminds me of the lady who said on Mother's Day, she said, okay, today we're going to trade places. I'm going to go sit in the driveway and honk the horn while you get the kids dressed. You know, wow. I don't want to lose my fellowship with you all. I don't want to lose my fellowship with the Father, and I don't want to lose my joy. That is going to help keep me from sin. Sin is too costly. Okay? Finally, verse 8, if we say that we have not, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So it destroys our ability to tell the truth. To recognize the truth. It robs us of discernment. And I don't want to be like that. I I do not want to be like that. I don't want to be deceived. I don't like it when somebody else deceives me. Sometimes it's fun to deceive somebody else momentarily, you know. Like I was 17 years old. Sitting at the table, this <clears throat> young man and young woman, they'd just gotten married a few months before, sitting across the table from us. And the first year of marriage is really difficult, okay? I don't know if it's true for all married couples, but my wife cried almost every day, first year of marriage, okay? Uh, you say, what about? I didn't have a clue, <laughs> okay? She didn't either. Just an emotional roller coaster. And uh, she'd be happy for hours at a time, and then, you know, okay. So anyhow, that's how that's the position that this young lady was in. That's what she was going through. And uh, a friend of mine sitting beside me leaned across the table and said, "Hey, ask Randy about his sister's roller skating." And she didn't know. She said, "I understand your sister's a pretty good roller skater." And I looked up and I said. That's not funny. My sister has polio. She burst into tears. And everybody else burst out laughing because they know my sister didn't have polio. Okay? Everybody else knew my sister but her. And at 17, I thought it was hilarious. Okay? Having been deceived a couple of times myself now, it's not near as funny as I thought. Okay? Making somebody cry? Yeah, a teenage boy's dream. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but uh, anyhow, you know, I don't like being deceived. I just don't. I don't like surprises all that much. But I especially don't like being deceived. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So how do you deal with it? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last thing that it robs us of is found in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar and his word is not in us. We lose 
the impact of the Word of God in our hearts. His Word is not in us. You try and remember a couple of good verses of Scripture while you're convicted of sin and you're trying to justify it and say, well, it's not that bad. I mean, everybody does it. So-and-so did it and they got by with it. I mean, what's the big deal, God? Well, if you say it's not a sin, then you're calling God a liar because His Holy Spirit convicted you that it was a sin. Several passages of Scripture that are especially important. One of them is found Jeremiah 33.3. God says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Okay? So when I need to know something, I like to be able to call out to God immediately and get an answer. Now, the answer may not come immediately, but I can pray instantly knowing that he will hear me and answer me and show me some great and mighty things that I don't know anything about. But Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I've sinned and I'm not willing to confess it and I'm not willing to forsake it, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Just so you don't think that's directed and written only for Randy Casey, he won't hear you either. Okay? There were times when Jamie was three and four years old when he's in the hospital three or four times every winter with pneumonia when I needed to get a hold of God in a hurry. Okay? I don't want sin hindering my prayer. God told the nation of Israel, he said, if you, if you sin against me, the heavens will be like brass. Okay? You see, what's that like? It's like sick singing in a public restaurant. What? Oh, yeah. If you want to hear yourself really well, go into a public restroom, tile walls all the way around you, and sing. It just all echoes back to you. Our quartet used to do that. We, ought to get, we used to go in the bathroom and, and harmonize so we'd know that everybody's on pitch, everybody's got their notes, you know. If I regard iniquity in my heart, it's like singing in a public restroom. Nobody hears me but me. That's what I'm telling you. That's what the verse is saying. The Lord will not hear me. And I don't want that. Sin's too costly. Stay away from it. Stay out of it. And when you find yourself in it, confess it immediately. Because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You'd be just like you never sinned. Woohoo! Let's pray together. Father, dismiss us with your love. Bring us back safely on Sunday. Dear Lord, again, we ask your consideration of each request that we made tonight. And we ask it be done according to your will in order that you might be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.